Hello. Hey, John. Hi, Dan Benjamin. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Pretty good. You've had a busy day. It sounds like being on TV and such. I was on TV already today. Um, and then I was on TV a second time. Uh, I went and did a segment on the morning show. And then after the segment, they were like, you know what? We should do another segment out like at the port. And I thought it was a weird idea, but I was like, you know, I bet Dan will hold the show for a half an hour. Let me go out to the port. You got to go to the port. I ran out to the port and I did a segment that was not entirely well thought out. But it turned out that the the very personable newscaster people uh, they had a good we had a good rapport and so we made the best we we uh, we took the lemons and we made lemonade out. <laughs> that's good and then I raced home to be on road work with Dan Benjamin well I told you not to not to race well I mean I didn't race any faster than I normally race but I do race a little bit I was expecting you in town this week actually I was yeah I considered coming to Austin but then life intervened as it so often does and so I wasn't able to go I I, you know I'm so overdue for a trip to Austin that I keep thinking like I will I will need no excuse to go. Right. We miss you here. Yeah, but it turns out I need at least a little excuse to go. <laughs> well, come soon. I will. I will, Dan. And see, but I'll I don't come. know. I don't know with you because I never know. I never know if you're going to uh, – I mean, really, there's always a – like I would say a, in my mind, there's at least a 20% chance on every episode that you might – be on TV or be doing a King Neptune thing or something happens where you get called away to important business and, and we might have to postpone the show. That does happen from time to time. Last week you got pulled away to Comic-Con. Yeah. And had to go do that thing. And did uh, we, did, But did we make up last week? Did no, we, we still got to make it up. Oh, or, that's I mean, life. this one might be the makeup. Maybe we do one tomorrow. I don't know. I hate to miss a show. I know you, you know. do. I know you do. But you know the that whole problem of like what is my job? Yeah. I still cannot effectively answer the question except by saying call me and offer me some money. You go you, you follow you go where the money is. Yeah, and if you offer me some money, I will you will now be part of my job. Right. <laughs> you know, I have been I went to uh I went to an event where Elvis Costello was playing a guy's birthday party and a friend of mine put on an event here in Seattle where Beyonce came and played a girl's 16th birthday party. Wow. That must not have been cheap. That girl's father was a rich guy and clearly like probably an awful guy, (laughs) but his version of the reality he was trying to teach his daughter was that he could get Beyonce to come. Mm-hmm. And so I think he, he paid, as far as I know, he paid Beyonce $1 million. Really? To come play a 45 minute long show for his daughter's 16th birthday. Party. Really? And it re- really a million? Yeah. And it requires that you have 
so much money that $1 million does not seem like any kind of big deal, um, hmm. which is like not a good lesson to teach your children. But, but what it taught me was that this happens all the time, right? Like if Beyonce will come play your daughter's bat mitzvah, mm -hmm. then Beyonce will go anywhere that you give her a million dollars. Right. And rightfully so, right? And if you pay, if you have enough money to pay Ryan Gosling to come to your corporate party and just stand at the bar, mm -hmm. uh, he will come. And it's a, it's a side of show business that the, the artists, right? The actors or musicians, they don't want people to know that. So it's not like it gets publicized. Um, but I mean, Elvis Costello, I was at that show and he played this birthday party and there were probably 60 people there and probably 40 of them did not know or care about Elvis Costello. So, he and the attractions played a full on two hour long set. Wow. And they spent the day before doing a full on two and a half hour long sound check where they ran every song that they know. <laughs> and it was just, this guy had the money to indulge himself. Right. And so at a much different level, I mean, part of the way that I make a living is if somebody says, I want you to play my, I like, I played a guy's birthday party not that long ago. And he was a Starbucks person. Mm -hmm. And he said, his wife said, what do you want to happen at your birthday party? And he said, I love this barbecue restaurant and I love the long winters. And so she rented the barbecue restaurant and they called me and said, what would it take? And I said, I gave them, you know, what we call in the business, uh, you give them your, your fuck you price, which is like a price that basically says, I don't want to play people's birthday parties, but if you pay this amount, I will overcome, I'll, I'll get over myself. <laughs> right. And you know, they wiggled, they wiggled a little bit on it, but, event, but came up, you know, to a number where I was like, well, this barbecue restaurant is two miles from my house. So I, d it's not like they're flying me to Iceland. You might've been there, gone there anyway that day. Might've been there anyway. And so that's, you know, it's part of my job. And, uh, and being King Neptune, of course, doesn't pay anything. <laughs> right. But wouldn't, wouldn't you think you could up your rates a little because of the that's what you can never know, the right? You can, thing. you can never know where that you appear on King five morning show. Right. And you say, Hey, I'm King Neptune. Make some finger guns and go. And then a month later you get a call from somebody and they're like, I saw you on King five. We'd like <laughs> you to, we'd like you to host our corporate retreat. And you go, I don't want to host your corporate retreat, but here's like, here's my, like go fuck yourself price. And the guy's like, Oh, is that all? I was going to pay you twice that. And you go, fuck <laughs> my fuck you price should be higher. Uh, and then you go do the thing in it. And that in, and doing those little things sort of, um, 
allows you then, in my case, to do other things like go to Comic-Con, which paid me $200 because it was pollen storm, um, or to do stuff that pays me nothing mm-hmm. because these weird little th- these weird little bumps pop up. And I know there are people listening who are like, how the fuck do you get that? And that's what, you know, that's what paying your dues is like it. All the times I played in Richmond, Virginia for $75 and two cherry Cokes now put me in a position where I have a gray beard and I can't hear out of my right ear, but I, but I get paid to play in barbecue restaurants for people's birthdays. Mm. It's a weird life, Dan. Yeah. Do you do personal appearances? Do you do? Oh yeah, do all, I mean all the time. Any, t- I, right? I look, I look forward to the opportunity to to do them, and uh, most of them people don't actually want me there, uh-huh. uh, and they're not paying me. But uh-huh. uh, I show up. <laughs> I mean, I show up. You sneak in through the kitchen. I mean, what you know? Sometimes there's a kitchen. Sometimes I've got like a basement entrance that you can get into. Uh, yeah, one way or the other. I mean, I'm not. Like I don't have like lock picking skills, so there's a lot of places I still can't go. You know, the thing about lock picking skills is if you are a drug addict uh-huh. or a former drug addict, right? You might think that being able to, you know, having a set of like locksmith skills mm-hmm. uh would be a great advantage, but in fact it's a terrible thing for a drug addict to have. Drug Why, addict what would be not, bad about that? Well, it's another, it's like, if you're a drunk, it seems like it really helps to be rich, to have family money, mm-hmm. because you, your family money can get you out of trouble over and over and over again. And and uh, so it's a lot better than being a poor drunk. Yeah. But but really what it does is it, it allows you to be drunk and set fires for, for decades because your money protects you. Mm. And if you're a drug addict and you have locksmith skills, it uh, it allows you to do bad things that if you didn't have those skills, you would be restrained from doing. Right, you know sure. what I mean? Like yeah. It turns you, turns you into a burglar just by virtue of exploiting this, the, the talents that you have. So I, I, have to, I had to be very careful not to – one of the reasons I stopped doing drugs was that I started to exploit my particular talents that I didn't want to have dirtied. Right. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to besmirch the things that you love most. And that's what anytime you are, anytime you're degrading yourself, it really isn't about the activity you're doing because all things can be, uplifting and degrading mm. in equal measure depending mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. what i mean like like um like just the work that i just described like uh like beyonce playing a birthday party there is one way that you could say well that's kind of degrading and there's another way that you can say she just got paid a million dollars for 45 minutes doing the thing she loves that's kind of uplifting and it just depends on on your take and whether or not you're exploiting your talents in a way that is constructive or destructive. And I felt like as I got, as I got lower and lower, there was no, there was no part of myself that I wasn't prepared to utilize to get high. Mm -hmm. And that 
is a bad feeling. When you take the thing you love most about yourself and start squeezing it to accomplish some, you know, some to accomplish an end that is antithetical to what makes that thing about yourself. Great. Mm, That's a bummer. Well, yeah, but you know, that's when you, that's when you get a wake up call. If you're going to get a wake up call, it's one of the wake up calls you can get. You can also get a wake up call. Like you get shot in the shoulder. That's a wake up call. Did that happen? Can be. I have never been shot by a gun. No. I mean, if you don't count pellet guns, no, Never been shot by a gun, never been shot by an arrow or a crossbow bolt. Are you um, coming up with things you haven't been shot by or is there I've, something you have been shot by? I've been shot by some top shelf photographers, Dan. Uh-huh. Uh, no, I, I don't, I, I cannot think of a thing. What about like getting your, I, your ears pierced? Nope. Never had that. Kind of like getting shot. I can't think of a single way you can be shot that I have been shot. Yeah. Have you been stabbed? Like not by, in, like by by something meant for stabbing. By hypodermic needles, I've been stabbed. No, like a like a knife or a shiv. Well, I, that that uh, hatchet attacked me one time. Uh, but it, it was, attacked you, or you were attacked by it by someone well, wielding it. No, it was unmanned. It was an unmanned hatchet. <laughs> I've surely told you that story. <laughs> I, I'm trying to recall it, but I don't think you have. I was in my barn and I was hanging up some lights. No, you haven't and, told me this. And uh, I couldn't find a hammer, so I was using a hatchet, the back end of a hatchet <laughs> of to hammer in the lights. And uh, I was up on a tall ladder and I I realized I had left something I needed down below. So I I climbed down the ladder. And then once I was down the ladder... I said, well, you know, I'll move the ladder to get to the next place and I'll be able to reach back to where I was working before. But since I'm down, I'll move the ladder. And I picked up the ladder, tall ladder, and I started to move it. And I had left the hatchet oh, on in top the, of oh, the ladder. God, that's And it fell off and fell down and landed right on my, right in the part of my hair, blade down, just like thunk stuck in the top of my head for a second and then fell off. And this was a rust catch. Head wounds bleed really badly. So as the blood is pouring down my face and it it hurt, you know, and I I actually dropped to my knees because it was such a, like a (sighs) blow. Yeah. And I knelt there, blood streaming down my head. And I was like, did I just kill myself? Oh my God. (laughs) And I'm kneeling here alone in my barn, and these are the thoughts of someone who's already dead. <laughs> right. And I'm I'm just waiting to to die now. Like you think about all the people who have sustained a life threatening injury, who are kind of laying there, and what they're thinking about in the thirty seconds to three hours that they lay there alone or surrounded by people sort of dying but also still conscious and still themselves and so i'm kneeling in this barn like sort of waiting for a clear picture whether or not i had just split open my head with a hatchet and was now dying and after (laughs) a minute i realized that i was probably not dying 
And I got up and I stumbled out of the barn and I didn't have very good sense at the time. So I did not call an ambulance. I got in my car and I started to drive to the hospital, but I was concussed. And so I was like a, like a diet, like later you came to find out you actually had a full on concussion. Oh, I knew I did. Oh man. Because my, I was like kind of struggling to stay awake. Oh no. And so I was driving down Rainier Avenue, just absolutely covered in blood streaming down and, uh, also concussed and so i was driving about 15 miles an hour and as i'm driving down and i'm i I passed three or four hospitals because i wanted to go to the hospital that i liked (laughs) and the whole way i'm driving along and i'm thinking to myself and i had a i had a thought halfway where it was like i'm probably not the only guy driving on rainier avenue even now covered with blood driving 15 miles an hour because i drive this road a lot And you see all kinds of things, but I got to the hospital and uh, it was a, it was not a busy day. It's not a busy hospital. And the doctor, they were all surprised, um, that I had arrived in this condition and they wheeled me in and the doctor took a look at me and he said, um, after they cleaned the wound and everything, he said, you know, I'm studying to get my wilderness medicine certificate. And, uh, so if you don't mind, I'd like to practice some like wilderness medicine on you. And I was like, of course. (laughs) And so what he practiced was to stitch up a wound on someone's scalp. You can actually just use their own hair from either side of the, of the wound. You can just take hair from both sides and tie it together And so he went along and knotted my hair all the way along this hatchet. No kidding. And like sealed, you know, sutured it basically using my own hair. I had no idea. Yeah. And then he said, I don't want you driving. So you got to call somebody to come pick you up. And I did. And Dan, I survived to this day. No kidding. How big was the hatchet? Well, it's a hatchet. I mean, it's not, it was not like a hatchet that you got in a, box of cereal right and it was not a it was not a miniature not an axe. axe it's not an axe it's a just a full-on hatchet it was the kind of hatchet that you would use to hammer things into the roof of your barn <laughs> right but that if it fell off a ladder and hit you on the head it would kind of come close to like really giving you the business really whacking you So, but you know, and I've had some knives pointed at me, but no one's ever stuck me. Yeah. I actually have a, a knife related dilemma to, uh, I maybe could get your advice on your take on at the very least. What's your, well, you and I have discussed pocket knives before, I think on this show and I, or maybe we just discussed them and it wasn't on the show, but I'm pretty sure it was on the show Mm -hmm. and you and I both enjoy picking up a pocket knife here and there, especially when the TSA takes takes one of ours away. Absolutely. Uh, so it was, it was time for me to get a new one. And I did a little bit of research this time instead of just kind of randomly buying one. And uh, the one that I wanted to get is, have you ever seen a Spyderco? I used to carry a Spyderco knife. I started carrying my first Spyderco even before I stopped drinking. So that would have been 1994. 
I, I used I, to have one too, like probably in the early 2000s time period. I carried the police model for a long time, which, which, uh, and I actually lost it on the beach in, um, con France. Oh, nice. Well, it's not nice. I fucking lost my knife. Well, but you were in a nice part of France. Well, yeah, but I, if I could do it all over, I'd still have the knife and I would skip fucking the town. Well, I'm looking at the police model and it looks like it's a, a stainless steel handle yep. and there, some have a serrated edge. Some don't. Yep. Yep. Mine did. It's a nice looking, nice looking little knife. Okay. So you're familiar with the brand. So there was one that I wanted to get. Uh, and I, th- I'm, I hope I'm saying it right. It was, I think it's called the Delica four. Okay. Is the name of it. Um, you know, it has good ratings. It was not, it's not cheap. It's more than I would normally want to spend on, on a knife. It was right around 60 bucks, but I figured, you know what? I'm going to, going to get a nice one. And so I ordered it from Amazon and it, you know, a few days later, there's the box, open up the box. And on the outside of the box, it says right there, look, look at the box. Spyderco Delica 4 lightweight FRN flat ground plain edge knife gray. Right. That's, that's what it says. And uh, I open it up. It's a completely different Spyderco knife in there. It's a little bit bigger than the one that I ordered. And it's got, instead of uh, like a polycarbonate grip, it's got a very lightweight metal. I'm assuming it's a kind of an alloy uh, grip that's, that's, it just felt really good. I mean, it felt really nice to hold it. And the knife itself had that black blade on it, you know, instead of being just the stainless blade, it, it had like the black. And I'm looking at this thing and I'm thinking everything about this says like military stealth, Ooh. black ops. Uh-huh. And I said, well, but still like, this is a really nice knife, but it's not the one I ordered. So right. I went to Amazon and did the thing where you say, I, you know, take it back. It's wrong. And I said, this is not, not the item that I ordered. Right. And you know, that you can, you, they all had the thing where they said, we can either refund you or we can replace it. And I said, no, I don't trust you to replace it correctly. I'm just going to send this one back. I'll reorder it directly and get a new one out. So, uh, I put in a new order after I do the refund and I take the old one out, send it away. And then, you know, the day after I sent that one away, the the replacement one or the new one that I ordered comes in and uh, the box, I look at the outside of the box again and the sticker, the sticker on it, Spyderco Delica 4 lightweight FRN flat ground plain edge knife gray. Yeah. Open it up. It's the same black knife. What? The? Now, not the one that I sent back. It's another one. It's a what? different, it's a different one, <laughs> but it's the same model. What so, is going on, Dan? So I said, all right, let me figure out what this is, because the universe, if, if I subscribe to the John Roderick philosophy, the universe wants me to have this knife. That's what I would at that point. That's what I would say. OK, because I returned it, the first one and a second one, a different one. Also wrong. Got sent to me. It, this seems to me like this is the way Jesus works. Dan. <laughs> Jesus works in strange and wondrous ways. And. You know, I, was, I had a good friend say to me the other day, like, I was walking late at night in Los Angeles, and there were two guys standing there on the side of the road. They weren't in front of a store. They weren't in front of a bar. They were just standing randomly out 
on a stretch of road. And as I walked past them, they were talking to each other about how difficult it is to be a Christian in L.A. <laughs> and how they don't get any respect for being Christians in L.A. And, I, you know, and she was walking past them at a, at a languid enough pace that she was able to hear enough of their conversation to put together this whole story about like, oh, it's so hard to be a Christian in L.A. Am I right? Oh, you're telling me. And she's like, it's 2 o'clock in the morning and these guys are not. They have no reason to be standing out here. Right, yeah. I don't understand what the significance of this was. Why the fuck? And now I can't get it out of my head. And I said, well, this is how Jesus works. <laughs> now you're thinking about these two guys and how hard it is to be a Christian in L.A. And you're thinking, like, boy, to be a white male Christian in L.A. sure sounds hard. You're, you're scoffing a little bit, but it's in your head. And then you're going to bump into somebody in a bar you're going to like him. You guys are going to have a good time. He's going to ask for your number. You're going to say yes. And then on your next date, when you meet for a real date, you're going to be having a wonderful time. And at the sort of third half of the date, he's going to say, well, you know, honestly, like I'm Christian and it's really hard to be Christian in LA. And you're going to think, Normally, you would have been like, oh, give me a break. Right, right. But you've been thinking about it for a week. And now you've met somebody in person and you're like, oh, yeah, I've heard that. Like, I'm I'm a little bit more sympathetic to your plight than I would have been. And she's a Jewish girl. Mm -hmm. So she's not going to be like, uh, wow, I share your, you know, your persecution complex. But. Now you're sympathetic and you're like, you know what? I'll go out on a third date with this guy. And then pretty soon you guys are dating and you've figured out a way to like enmesh your two worlds. And, uh, you know, and this is just Jesus working spooky, yeah. spooky Jesus at a distance. <laughs> and that's what's happening here, Dan. Well, you're I getting think... the same knife over and over. Okay. But, okay. But see, here's the, here's the only reason why I'm having why well, I was having a concern, but I no longer have a concern. You've put my mind at ease, but here's what I was, uh, was concerned about. So I, I noticed that on the box here, I have it right here. This, listen, you hear that? That's yes. the sticker that Amazon or the, you know, Amazon seller or whoever put, put on the box. So if I peel this off, there's a barcode underneath this. So I, I don't know if you know this. Is this maybe this will be a tip for the listeners if you don't know it. But if you, if you have the Amazon app installed on your phone <clears throat> and you launch the app, there's a little search uh, magnifying glass at the top. If you tap that, a little dialog box comes down and says, what are you looking for? And inside you can type spider cone knife or whatever it is you're searching for. But right next to it, there's a little camera. If you tap sure. the camera, it will turn your phone into it does one, two, one of two different things. One, if you point it at a barcode, it will read the barcode and look up that item on Amazon. Okay. If, and this is the other thing. I learned this trick from, uh, from Merlin. If you just point the camera at an object, whatever it is, it could be like a, you know, a, a bag of chips. It could be a, you know, a, a thing of soap. It could be a, I don't know, a box of pens, anything 
not even without a barcode. It will figure out what it is to the best that it can, and it will look up and show you things that look like that. I don't know how that works. That We don't even need to worry about that because that's not what I did. I pointed at the barcode. And the right. knife that comes back up is a Spyderco Paramilitary 2 knife considered one of the best-reviewed knives on Amazon, and it's more than twice as much as I paid for the first knife. So I was prepared to pay uh, almost 60 bucks for a knife. This one's coming in at 120 bucks. So I'm like, well, now I'm definitely going to keep it. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Once again, right. Somebody wants you to have this knife, Dan. I tried, I I tried to give it back and they gave it back to me. I know that you uh, that you have a, a home protection, somewhat of a home protection culture. Uh, yes, in, definitely. In your life and in your family. Sure. And, you know, you, you're not somebody that's going to let uh, some kind of home invasion happen. No, don't come into my house at night unless you're invited. That's right. And, and, and I'm guessing you've probably looked at your house and you've said, you know, here's the first line of defense and then we will retreat behind this barrier and then here's where we make our last stand. I have done that, yeah. Yeah, right. So – this knife, I'm. I am hoping that this is not ever a thing that you have to, you have to do. But this knife may play a role in this whole affair, right? This might right. Be, this, this might be like one day the thing that saves me or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think you're and right. You're gonna look. You're gonna look back and you're gonna say, <laughs> Amazon kept putting this knife in my hands, and I was like, not the knife I asked for. Right. But you don't you don't know what knife you're asking. Right. For. I mean, I might have to go hilt deep into someone's femoral artery at some point, and this is the knife that's going to do it. Well, you put that knife, you know, you hide that knife in the very far back corner of your closet, so that when you have retreated all the way back there, yeah, then you're like, oh shit, this knife, <laughs> and then that's the one where they're like. Mr. Benjamin, I know you have run out of bullets. <laughs> the French are, uh, French home invaders are here. We are, we are coming in now to take you. <laughs> you do not have any more bullets in your gun. And you're like, moo-ha-ha-ha. Right, that's right. So, I don't know, man. Don't look a gift knife in the, yeah. in the mouth. Yeah. All right. Okay, well, I feel better about it now. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I would like to tell you now about SendPro from Pitney Bowes. SendPro is how you ship stuff, and they have three times the features of Stamps.com, for example. They let you do tons of stuff. You can print stamps from your computer. It saves you money and time. You don't need any special equipment. You don't have to wait in line anywhere at a post office or a UPS store. You don't have to install any software. Everything works right inside your browser. Couldn't be easier. Couldn't be better. You can print paid shipping labels for USPS, UPS, and more. You can track your shipments from within their interface, so you're not chasing around tracking numbers. And they've negotiated special rates for SendPro users, saving start at $0.03 per stamp, which is pretty great, and it adds up, especially if you ship a lot of stuff. They made a special URL just for you guys. It's pb.com slash roadwork. Go there to learn more, and you'll also support the show. And when you sign up, You'll get SendPro free for 90 days, totally free. You'll get a free 10-pound scale. Does the scale weigh 10 pounds or does it measure things up to 10 pounds? Nobody knows. And when your free trial's over, you'll get SendPro for only 5 bucks a month. And that's good for the lifetime of your SendPro subscription, which is pretty great 
five bucks a month versus what? How much does stamps.com cost? It's $15.99 a month. And you get three times the features, one third the price, five bucks a month, and you'll never have to go to the post office again. You are able to go to pb.com slash roadwork. That's the only place you can go to get it. And we appreciate their support. Thank you, Senpro. You know, Dan, there are a lot of events that I do that are, uh, that are group events, right? Where it's me and sometimes a half a dozen, sometimes a dozen or more other entertainers who live in the more or less the same world that I do. And we're all, we're not all in the exact same, like, um, floor of the apartment building, but we're all in the same general fame category, right? Like John Hodgman is an exponential number of uh, more famous than I am, right? He's, he is 10 times more famous, but we're in the same general fame category. Right. And so a lot of these events are like 12 people who are all friends and all in the same fame category. There's no one there who is a sports figure. Right. There's no one there who is a, you know, who is a, there are people who are literary people rather than show people, but it's a show. It's always going to be a show. So the literary people are there as a component of the show. And that puts us generally in the same category, at least for the, for those terms. And those shows, and I, I know people are aware of this, but but they're very socially complicated. Because unlike a lot of rock shows where there's a headliner and then there's the middle band and then there's the opener, those shows have a built-in hierarchy. The headliner is the reason that people are at the show. Mm-hmm. And the only time that that hierarchy is disturbed is when one of the openers has a hit song, but they agreed to do the tour before their song hit. So like Guns N' Roses did a tour opening for Aerosmith. And during the tour, Sweet Child of Mine was like rocketing to the top of the charts. So Mm. all of a sudden, even though Aerosmith is a much bigger band uh, at the time, right? All of a sudden there were a lot of people there that were really excited to see Guns N' Roses. Right. And that happens sometimes, but rarely. Uh, we did a tour one time where SR71 was the headliner, but this band Weedus was <laughs> the uh, opener. And we I was in Harvey Danger at the time. We were in the middle. SR71 was at the top of the bill because they had a hit on the radio inexplicably because they were terrible. But Weedus was actually great, and they had a hit song that was doing really good called teenage dirtbag. I'm just a teenage dirtbag baby. Like the who and teenage uh, wasteland, same song. Like a little bit, except it was a very different song. Okay. Uh, it references like a bunch of ideas, right? Like listen to iron maiden. Ba-. It's got a lot of references in it. Anyway. So all of a sudden we who had agreed to do this tour as the opening band was no longer the opener of this concert because they had, 
they kind of had the biggest hit of the three bands. Yeah. But but they had agreed to go on first and they were getting paid whatever, $500 a night or something. Uh, that happens periodically. But the shows that I typically do now where there are 12 of us on stage, they're much more socially complicated because they're group efforts. We're all friends with one another. We all share a similar culture. But there's also this feeling of, you know, we are in competition with one another for the eyes and the laughs sure. and the love of the audience, right? You walk out on stage and it's like, now it's my turn to entertain you and to receive your love. And then backstage, there's everybody hanging out and they're all sitting around and you're, you're also sort of trying to navigate an unusual space, a room full of talented people who are used to being the center of attention and we're all trying to be friends and it's, it can get tricky. Mm -hmm. People can get their feelings hurt really easily. They can feel excluded when they're not excluded. They're just, you know, they're just not at that moment being showered with attention and affection. And so they're just like, Oh, nobody likes me anymore. I mean, it, I've seen it many, many times just kind of like, destabilize people and so comic-con is one of these events right it's the 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 wootstock show that paul and storm put on with adam savage and most of the time will wheaton it's uh there's 12 to 15 people on stage over the course of the night doing little bits and the backstage can be weird but this year it was delightful all by way of saying this year Comic-Con was a delight. Adam Savage, always a delight to hang out with at events. He is one of the one of the great people. Yeah, seems super cool. Paul and Storm are like super good friends of mine now for 10 years. And uh, I genuinely like the con despite myself. I mean, I do, lean, I, I do lean up against the wall and spend many hours going, what the fuck? What am I, what am I looking at right now? Like, what, what is going on? But I enjoy it. And there are lots of things at the con that I enjoy. One of them is sitting and looking at old musty comic books and talking to old musty people about them. I don't care about the new show on the WB, which mm -hmm. a lot of people at the con do care about, but they have their space that they can go care about the new show on the WB. And right. I can, I can go look at musty comic books and we don't have to. I mean, isn't that interesting that they call it comic con and really it's, it's a lot about movie trailers and TV shows and other things like that nowadays. Well, yeah, except, well, I mean, what the hell is South by Southwest about anymore? Oh, forget that. Nonsense. You know, it used to be about unsigned bands. <laughs> right, yeah. <And laughs> the last time anybody cared about an unsigned band there. I mean, it, ha it, it started happening a long time ago where it was like unsigned bands, except all these bands are already really hot and if they are unsigned, it's only because they're, they have already signed management and a lawyer and they have everybody just trying to like showcase the shit out of them to milk every last dollar out of it. 
there was no I mean, when I first went there, it was like everybody here is just some kind of unsigned band, <laughs> bunch of Texas blues bands and <laughs> and indie pop bands. And now, come on, it's it's like the Doritos stage and it's Interpol playing and you're just like Interpol is playing the Dorito stage. Like (laughs) nothing about that. Do I want to see? Well, I have never actually been to, uh, the official real comic con. I've only been to the ones in other cities. Dallas has a big one, but it's not as big as the San Diego one. Austin gets one from time to time. The only good thing I ever got there was a really bad flu. So I need to get out to the big one, but I've heard so many things about it. It's just that it's madness and it's super busy that you don't, you know, if there's things you want to go see that the lines are insane. I don't know. And how is it that you've not done a comic con? You seem like exactly the sort of media personality that would, well, just, I just haven't done the official big San Diego Comic-Con. I've done the, the Dallas Comic-Con, the Austin Comic-Con, and I think one other one. But just not the... Why? Because it's um, it's fairly expensive for me to get out to San Diego, and, uh, and it's fairly expensive to attend the Comic-Con that's there, and the hotels are very, very expensive during the Comic-Con time. Hmm. So that's just been enough to kind of keep me away. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I'd love to go. I think what we need to do is work on your public appearance. Yeah, I need uh, I need help with that, clearly. But I don't know what I what value I would bring. You know, you have like a thing you can do. Like if people would bring you out to a birthday party, I I guess theoretically they're hoping you'll perform a song of some kind. Well, but this is the game, Dan. We need to we need to develop a, a uh, we need to develop a whole sort of realm in which we are brought places not to do anything. Yes. Right. Ryan Gosling probably gets seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars to go to a party and stand there. Yeah, I, that's how I want to be. I just want to do that. Partly, you know, it's partly that he's beautiful and you know and famous and and talented. Same with me though. Well, that's the thing. We are, I mean, I'm just going to go right out and say it. And I, don't, I hope you don't take this the wrong way. I'm saying this about myself too. Slightly less beautiful than Ryan Gosling. Well. Although he has very uh, sensual hips. You have way more character, I think, in your face. There's a lot of character. But, you know, character is not a thing that people pay for on the same level as beauty. And I'm fine with that. Yeah. If Ryan Gosling gets $750,000, though, I don't see any reason. Why, and I'm just making that figure up. But I don't see any reason why we shouldn't get $75,000 uh, to show up at your party. Or in a lot of cases, frankly, Dan, if it was just down the street from my house, I'd take $7,500. Yeah, how do you get work in that space, though? You know, like how that, do you put it out there that you're available for that kind of thing? Well, I mean, one thing you could do is talk about it on your podcast. Yeah. Uh, that would introduce at least the people who are already interested in you to the idea that – if they want to fly you, Dan Benjamin, to a corporate event where you will stand around. I would do uh, that. I would do that once a week. Yeah, right. And, you know, it's somewhere in the 2000 to $20,000 range, probably. You don't, want to, you don't want to fly somewhere for less than $2,000. But uh, if it's $20,000, you start to wonder what they want from you. Right. 
like what the other expectation is. Is somebody could put put their hand on your knee? <laughs> right? But I mean, for they, for enough money, that might be okay. For twenty thousand dollars, you can definitely put your hand on my knee. For how long? Not, how long can the hand stay you, there? Are we talking, or are you just sitting there with your hand uncomfortably on my knee? Because if we're talking, and is it under the table, or is it out in? Like sitting in two chairs up in front of uh, in front of everyone, because that changes the price. I'm not sure that I would make a distinction at that level, right? If you're if we're sitting up on stage and we're talking vigorously, and you are the type of person that puts your hand on someone's knee, there are a lot of people that would be offended or feel assaulted by that. I'm right. not one of them. Right. Go right ahead and put your hand. You kind of hope knee. it happens, really. Well, or it's just like you're you're establishing a kind of intimacy with me, and it doesn't. I'm not threatened by that because I don't feel vulnerable to to assault in that way. And I, but it does not to say that obviously there are lots and lots and lots of people that would be sure. would feel encroached upon. Of but course. I don't. And I used to get in a lot of trouble, right? I mean, I would let people who were talking to me put their hand on my knee and then my girlfriend sitting across the room would storm over typically not in the moment but storm over after that person got up and walked away and say what was that why did that girl put her hand on your knee and i would say ah we were having a a conversation and she was like that was no conversation that girl was touching you on purpose but dan i've always been oblivious to that kind of thing yeah I'm I, I I'm pretty good at knowing uh, what's going on with people, but as soon as there's any kind of uh, sexual overtone to an exchange between people, I it's like kryptonite to me. Once sexual overtone is introduced, I become blind, hmm. blind to what is happening, blind to other people. Girls can flirt with me, and I will be so oblivious to it. Um, I can see people flirt with each other. I can see that very clearly. I can sit down with somebody and after talking to them for two minutes, I can know what all their fears are. But if somebody like drops their hanky in front of me or says hi in the, in a particular way, that's really obvious to other people. I just, I'm oblivious to the, to the point of being um, like, like it's a, it's a disability. So I just sort of wander through life, people putting their hands on me, and I just assume that it's always fraternal, that it's always jocular, like, hail, fellow, well-met, hearty congratulations, knee slap. And for 20 grand, go ahead, you know, like, put your hands in any sort of uh, jocular place that you that you imagine right and i but that but not including the jock area (laughs) but you know if you want to like give me a pat or a slap or a punch in the spirit of friendship and you're getting your jollies off of it i won't notice that's what i'm saying you both win in that situation yeah because if it's if that's how you get your jollies you're like oh my god and i'm just like that was fun it's only in those weird ones where you're like, oh, huh, how did I get locked in a truck cab with this person? <laughs> I don't want to be here. No. This isn't worth $20,000. This is a $50,000 gig now, locked in a truck cab. 
this truck is moving. I can't get out of this truck. What you about know, a pat down? You ever done, gone through a pat down at an airport? I insist on them sometimes because often I'll be at the airport and I'll have a lot of time before the flight and I'll get into either I'm TSA pre-check and then they randomly ping you and say, oh, we're going to send you through the radar because your, your number came up. And that just infuriates me. It's like I am – you run a 1,000 people through this pre-check every hour and at least half of them don't belong here, right? At least half of them have never – haven't flown in the last year. They walk through this – they walk through the – metal detector four times and keep forgetting that they have, you know, a set of like nunchucks in their pants pocket. And they're like, Oh, did you want me to take these brass knuckles out too? And it's just like, fuck you. Like some, (laughs) some of us are in airports all the time. We are already, before we even like walk up there, we're already ready. Everything's already in its little pouch. And it's like, go, go, go. And you're going to pull me aside and fucking scan me. Like the Israelis are great at this and they admittedly, and they, the Israelis freely admit like they do, they profile people, right? They're looking at you as you walk in the airport and they're saying like, is this, is this a grandmother with two young children? Yes. What is the likelihood that they have explosives strapped to them? Well, we're going to look at them for a second and imagine for a second that you could look at a grandmother and two children and be able to tell if they had bombs strapped to them. I think you probably can. And I think especially if you are watching people all day long, you can say that little old lady, but it works. It works for them. It works for them, right? The Israelis have been doing this a long time. There are a lot of people that want to blow up the Israelis and yet it happens infrequently, at least in that sense. I mean, they do send rockets to them. But like in the sense of, oh, some, I mean, and it happens on buses there, but like, how do you, how do you keep every city bus safe? I mean, you can't, but at least in the airports, they have this like multiple layers of people just visually scanning people. And eventually, you know, if you are perspiring and you appear to be wearing a very, very heavy jacket, somebody's going to say, Hey, can we talk to you for a second? And so as I'm walking through an airport, like I have my stuff all like squared away. You don't need to pull me aside randomly for an extra screening. And I know that that is, that involves a lot of politically touchy concepts because in Israel they can say like, yeah, we profile people. And everybody yells at them, but they're yelling at the Israelis for a lot of other things too. Profiling is not the not the number one thing that people are mad at them about. And in America, like profiling just isn't a thing that we can institutionalize, right? Because it's because there's just too much opportunity for discrimination, too much opportunity for people to abuse that. But it is also infuriating that in order to create an environment of like ruthless sort of equality, we do things like take five-year-olds and put them through increased screening 
because we're not able to say like, look, these people are not are like visibly these are children and a little old lady like they're visibly not who we're looking for. Anyway, I'm probably going to get a bunch of letters about how uh, about blah, 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 blah. And and if you are in, in interested in writing me a letter, uh, by all means do. I, I understand what your argument is already, but you can go ahead and restate it. Yeah. Um, t- I just got the TSA uh, pre thing. I haven't haven't used it yet, but I'll be using it. Oh, it's 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 wonderful, even in spite of the fact that they uh, that they will give TSA pre check to people. Uh, I don't understand. See, how. I don't I don't like John. I don't like to go through the cancer machines, so I've never gone through one of them. Um, well, and this is this is the pat down thing, right? I, I always say I always opt out. I'm like I'll opt out, and then they and you and you get the pat down every time. Every time you go to an airport, you budget extra time to get the pat down. Yeah, every time because I don't. Oh, I want to go through I, the cancer machine. And you're you're one of those people that gets to the airport two hours early anyway, aren't you? Well, I I do because I had to go through the the pat down thing. Pat but down. now I have the TSA pre, so I don't have to do that. Except when they randomly pull you aside, ah, they're going to pick me. You no, know, that's not. It, that's the thing. The machine goes ping. I've never seen a machine. Then, there's a there's a guy standing there. Well, but you go through. It's, it's like the at the end one. when you get when you're walking out of uh, Walmart or a Costco or something, and they have the lady there standing there. Can I see your receipt? And then they kind of glance in your card or whatever, and then they just sign the, some. They just scribble on it with a big red pen. That's all that ever happens. No, there you go through a metal detector, the old style, classic one. That if you have a big metal belt buckle or right. an artificial limb, it will go. Bah. No, no, I'm I'm and, talking about like on the way to the. Um, to the metal detector on the way to the lines. There's like a, a triage person there. Yeah. Directing believe you me, in. I, I know how it works. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying like, I, you're saying that that, that is a machine there that no, that the, picks the you? metal detector will go ping oh. as you walk through it. Right. And you're already on the other side of it. They've right. already put you through it and you have not, you didn't sound anything right and then they stop you and go oh sorry you've oh, been chosen for random oh, screening oh oh so the you're saying the the metal detector is what makes the choice the metal detector makes I the choice understand. so you can't okay you can't yell at anybody because it's like <laughs> sorry random right okay and somehow the randomization of this like every 25th person gets pinged by this I machine. Can't. Okay, I didn't and know that. that. Is this additional layer of security theater that is supposed to make us feel safer mm-hmm. uh, because now random person has been pulled and it has to now go through the underwear scanner right. and then have their bags wiped, swabbed with a swab and put into a machine to determine whether you have ever touched any gunpowder. Right. And all this other stuff where it's just like, oh, thank you, security theater. This is the least effective way to make this experience safe and efficient. Yeah, it's it's the worst. It's just a form of like, it's just balderdash. But so in instances like that, I will say, okay, you know what? Like if I'm inconvenienced, then fuck you guys. You be inconvenienced too. get the guy over here. Have him run his gloved hands through my underpants and let's just do the whole show. And the, and I recognize you're just doing your job, 
But like, why don't I just do my part to squander your time and resources? Because mm-hmm. I have an hour and a half till my flight comes. <laughs> right. And, you know, maybe you'll accidentally graze some part of me that gives me a momentary electrical thrill. <laughs> like maybe everybody comes at it. Maybe you and I talk for a little while. I mean, unfortunately, they like they only do the pat downs like like guys to guys, girls to girls. Although I don't know how TSA thinks that they manage uh, trans transgender or non uh, all right non bi cameral gender relationships. Like if you, if they're basically doing an eyeball thing and like let's get a lady over here. But I have, you know, I've made some lasting friendships. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure <laughs> those experiences. Every one of them has a little bit of a different, you know, they put a little different spin on it. I, I, yeah, I have. I've done done every time. There was one time, I, I don't think we. I've told you this story, but there was one time when I was coming back from San Francisco and, um, you know, it, it, you know, San Francisco gets a little, a little brisk, a little chilly for us Texans. And uh, while I was there, I picked up a sweater at, um, at H&M because I consider clothing from H&M to be... M- mostly disposable and i you know and it was right there and i said i'm, I'm cold i know i'm going to be out this evening walking around and i didn't bring a sweater so i just went in there and bought something off the sale rack and i think it was a sweater because you know their sweaters are made if you've ever shopped at h&m they're made of chemicals they're not actually a fiber you know is that right yeah they're made from chemicals in in persia mm. and when uh, apparently when I went to do my, my pat down and then they, you know, they take their gloves or they rub your, you with a little thing, they feed that stuff into the machine and the machine comes back positive for explosives or whatever. Right. Um, which is not what I was doing in California. I was at WWDC. So, I wasn't. What is WWDC? What would uh, Doctor <laughs> Octagon? Yes, conceive. <laughs> it is uh, the Worldwide Developers Conference for Apple. Oh, and for somebody who's been to Comic Con as often as you, I'm surprised that you don't know that. But uh, yeah, so I was with a bunch of nerds uh, at Apple, and. Uh, I I thought it was kind of funny. I'm like, okay, you know, they're like, we got, we got to do it again. I said, all right. So he does another thing, comes back positive again. He's like, okay. He's like, and I hadn't made this sweater connection yet. So he, he says, okay, well, uh, I actually need to get my supervisor down here. He's detecting explosives on you. Yeah. (laughs) Something like that. Some kind of chemicals that indicated that I might have been working with bombs, making bombs. Right, right, I, right. I was, I, you know, it was one of those things where you have to check out at the hotel at like 11. Everyone else I knew had already left town or was on their way out. And my flight was not until like, I don't know, two. So I had just planned to go to the airport early. I'd go get something to eat and chill out, watch TV or, you know, whatever. So I didn't care. Like it wasn't like time didn't really matter at that point. And right. uh, so they get their supervisor and he comes out and he's in like a, you know, in like a nice suit, like a gray suit. He's not wearing the regular TSA sort of pseudo cop uniform. Right. He's wearing like a, like a, like a, he's in, in there in a, an official capacity. And he says, all right, we're going to take you away from the, the public arena 
and move you into a private room, uh, which is never good. Right. So I go into the private room with them, and he then wants to conduct the pat down additionally again. So I oh, said, new, new pat down. I said, sure, go, go ahead. And this, he's like, we're going to do a little bit more thorough of a pat down. I said, that's fine, whatever you got to do. So they do their thorough pat down, and of course, nothing. And they said, we'd like permission to search your bag. I'm like, do it. Go for it. Right. Because right. I'm We're like, having a good time by I'm this like, time. Like, dude, I'm super proud of the way I pack, by the way. So like, yes, please, please prepare to be impressed by the way I pack. And uh, I'm making jokes or just hanging out. We're just talking everything else. This thing, whole thing took like an hour. And wow. uh, yeah. And uh, finally, at the end of it, the supervisor's like, uh, he's like, you know, he, I and he goes out and runs the test again. It comes back positive again. He's like, "What were you doing in San Francisco?" I'm like, "I went to this, you know, nerd conference, and uh, you know, we went and saw Apple, and you know, watched the stuff there." And he's like, "Okay." He's like, "Did you, uh, did did you buy anything weird or come in contact with anything weird?" I'm like, "No." He's like, "Did you did you buy any new clothes while you were there?" I said, "Yeah, the, this sweater I'm wearing right now." Okay. He's like, now okay. There. He's like, well, sometimes new sweaters or things like that have chemicals on them that trigger the machines to respond the same way that they would if they were explosives. I said, really? He's also, he's like, also, did you use the shampoo in the hotel? I'm like, of course I use the shampoo in the hotel. I'm bring my own shampoo. Uh, and he's like, he's like, that could be that too. You shouldn't use those. I'm like, what do you mean I shouldn't use the... <laughs> shampoo in the hotel what are you talking about wow. of course i'm using the shampoo in the hotel he's like well it can give you a false positive for the th-. i said all right and this he says i'm not he's like i'm not he's like i'm not supposed <laughs> i'm not really supposed to let you go i said really he's like but it's clear to me that you're not doing anything and like, then okay he says so uh and he said and uh, you know he's like so you can you can go ahead and go i'm not supposed to let you go yeah, that's the <laughs> <laughs> what are you supposed to do? I, think I don't know. Be- Call the police or detain me longer or interrogate me more. I don't know. I think he could tell because I was completely like, I found the whole thing to be really funny because sure. I'm the very last person that's working with bombs. Uh, so, you know, and, and I'm like the, le- the least threatening person you could meet. And I just found it all to be kind. And if I had been like late for my flight, I wouldn't have thought it was funny at all. But this actually gave me something to do for an hour. (laughs) Right. Well, (laughs) and you know, I think it's another example of like, uh, I mean, if you are interviewing somebody and they are laughing and not laughing in a psycho way, but laughing in a like, you've got to be kidding me way. And you have been trained like a security officer should have been trained to tell the difference between someone who is laughing and is afraid or right. someone who is laughing and is, and is seriously like, yeah, we, well, yeah. this is fun. Right. Uh, uh, pretty great. And they should be able to say, okay, I see that you are not. Um, I think he could like, do that. I think that's why he felt comfortable releasing me from confinement. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean it it it's just it's such a weird thing. And you know, you want you want stuff to be safe, right? Like you want to know that that they're checking for for stuff like that. But I guess sort of. Yeah, I mean, you don't want people with bombs getting on airplanes, right. but there's you know, I think there are a lot better ways to ensure that than the than this method. 
it is time to say thank you to Casper. Casper, they make the great mattresses that I know that you've heard about. Super comfortable. And what they've done is they've eliminated these crazy commission-driven inflated prices that you're going to find at the mattress stores, the wholesalers, all those places. Because what do they do? They, they make them and they ship them right out to you. So they're cutting out the middleman. And now, guess what? They also make sheets that are really super comfortable and they make awesome pillows that are really soft and everything is breathable and light and makes you sleep really nice. And I've had and used one of these mattresses and they're great. They really are great. And they built these things. They spent thousands of hours developing the Casper mattress. It has supportive memory foams for a sleep surface. It's got just the right feeling to it. It's something that you really need to try and that's what they want you to do. They want you to try it. They send it to you. It comes in a box. And like, how does it fit in this box? You you may have seen other mattress places that have like on Instagram and other places where they're advertising saying, look how cool it is. It comes in a box. Isn't that awesome? Casper like created that whole thing. Like they started this whole movement of we're going to send you an awesome bed and they do it the best. They've got over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars. They're becoming pretty much the internet's favorite mattress. This is based on the reviews and Casper and Amazon and Google, like everywhere. They love it. It's free shipping and returns to the U.S. and Canada. And the best part of it is you get it 100 nights risk-free in your own home. If you don't love it, they will pick it up and refund you everything. That's how confident they are. And, uh, and I'm telling you from my own personal experience, I think you're going to love this bad. There's really no risk. You can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash roadwork and you use the code roadwork, one word, and you will get $50 off. Terms and conditions apply. I have to say that. But I don't have to say that the mattress is awesome and I've used it and I love it. Go to casper.com slash roadwork, save yourself 50 bucks, and we thank Casper for their support. I, I one time years ago was crossing from France to England on the boat, on the, uh, on the ferry. Yeah. And I arrived there. It was the last ferry of the day. I got there and there was a, there was a period in life where there was apparently a soccer hooligan whose name was John Roderick. <laughs> a soc- was, soccer hooligan. Yeah. Who was known to be. Uh, someone who would follow Man United or whatever, go to places in other countries, France and Italy and the Netherlands, supporting an English soccer club. And then once there, he would, you know, start fights and cause trouble and uh, besmirch the reputation of the United Kingdom. And this was a time, I think, when um, the the UK was trying to crack down on hooliganism and, you know, stop sort of because the, because UK soccer fans were developing a bad reputation internationally and that was causing problems, you know, reverberating problems. So here I am, I'm, uh, I'm standing on the dock and they say, uh, Oh, John Roderick, eh? They pull me aside (laughs) and they say, go ahead and sit on this chair. And I'm like, okay, here I am sitting on the chair. And they're like, keep sitting. And I say, well, 
you know, this last boat, once this last boat leaves, it's like there's not another boat until 630 in the morning or something. Mm. And they're like, just keep on sitting there. We're just doing some stuff. And finally, it's like an 1130 boat. At 1130, I hear the ferry sound its horn. And a person comes out from behind a door and goes, oh, we just realized you're not that John Roderick. Anyway, good luck. Oh, no. And I run out and get in my van and peel out. And I get right there as the as the you know, the barrier shuts. And then I sit there and watch this boat. Oh my God. Sail away. And then spent the night in the cab of my truck. That's terrible. Looking out over the, over the water and, you know, until the 6am boat arrived. But then for several, I mean, several trips, I would get pulled at UK customs, no matter where I came in. And we would have to go through this whole thing until I would, I would walk up and say immediately to the guy, look, my name's John Roderick. Here's my passport. I'm an American. You have on your records a soccer hooligan named John Roderick. I know that it's going to send up a red flag, but he is not an American. So let's establish right away that we are not the same guy. And eventually they took my name off of their list. It took a long time to get them to – I think it generally takes a long time once you're on some list. Oh, yeah. You'll never get off a list. doesn't matter what the list is. It could be a list for email spam. It could be a list for phone calls. It could be a list like you're talking about. It doesn't matter. I feel like I got off this list. I have not continued to have this problem. Now, when I cross these borders, they're just like, welcome to the UK. Good luck. Spend some of your worthless American dollars here. And they send me on my way. So I don't. It, I agree that it's unlikely to get off a list like that, but somehow I managed it. I don't know how. I think it was that I kept saying to these people, like, look, I'm going to save us both some time because I'm not a guy that gets to the airport uh, really early. Right. How I'm long, like how long do you give? Because right now is of the and I checked. I just checked. The TSA suggests uh, for domestic flights, you arrive at the airport two hours in advance of your flight departure time. And for international flights, three hours in advance of your flight departure time. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming that, 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 that when they say that, they don't mean stepping foot into the, uh, into the airport. I think they mean like par- driving with your car because th- that allows for time to be shuttled into the airport park and all that nonsense. Generally, if a – let's say a flight is leaving at 630, mm-hmm. it starts boarding at what, 6? Yeah, 5, 6, 610. Yeah. I will arrive at the airport. So the flight's leaving at 630. I will try to get to the airport at 530, and that is – and I consider that like a, a – uh, like an overly cautious amount of scaredy catism. That's that's you being incredibly conservative. That an is, hour that is, an hour ahead of flight departure. That's you being conservative. It's pretty conservative, I think, because, like, I don't know. I've spent 
I've gotten there two hours ahead of time and I've spent an hour and 20 minutes sitting watching CNN and I would rather be doing anything but sit in an airport. I really wouldn't. And no, I, I, have I, a, I totally don't blame you on that. I have friends who are really into sitting in the Delta lounge and eating free yogurt or whatever it is they give you in the Delta lounge. You've got to have but, been in those lounges though. I have. And you're I like a VIP them, on all, all of the airlines. No, not, not enough. I should be much more of a VIP in every respect uh-huh. globally. Yes. Uh, but the world doesn't agree often. The world says, well, you have not done the bare minimum to become a VIP, nor are you rich enough to pay to be a VIP. So why the fuck do you think you should be a VIP here? And I go, hey, I do my best Fonzie, like two thumbs up, like, hey. <laughs> and then I hit the jukebox and about one in ten times my song comes on. <laughs> right. But in this instance, uh, the Delta Lounge, the Sky Lounge, yes, does not, to me, seem worth it at all. It's not even worth, I mean, even if it was free, it wouldn't be worth it for me just to walk through an extra door. Because you get in there and they, you know, they, get, they have some cereal, some oranges, and... The room is full of uh, just people that are just sort of sad. I mean, it just feels sad in there. Like, why are you in here? Oh, because it's special. Is it just the Delta one or all of them feel that way to you? I feel like they're all like that. I mean, it's just this it's this cultural thing we have about like sequester me, sequester me. The, I've been the, in the, the American Airlines uh, one especially in, in Dallas airport and some other ones, I got into that because I had an American express card for a while. That was, it was a uh, one I had gotten for the business mm-hmm. and it just included sky lounge access uh, for American. I think it was the one that it gave you or, or something like that. Yeah. And I had never been up in one of those things before. And it's very much when you say the word sequestering, I mean like it's, you are literally physically above everyone else looking down on them. Like it's (laughs) you, you look down on the people uh, that are, uh, that are like sitting all pushed up against each other with the noise and everything else. And you're up there and they're playing a quiet music, or maybe that you can go and sit and work in a little cube or you can lounge on the, the things and they do have free food, but some of them have restaurants and they have drinks and things like that. And, uh, I never got the sad, uh, vibe. Well, and it was way when I was, when I went in one, it, the airport was so crowded and noisy. And I had like a two and a half hour layover and I used this thing. I just went up there and it was quiet. And like you, I plugged in everything I had. I plugged in my laptop and the phone and the thing and just chilled out in a nice chair. It was quiet. I mean, you are describing, Dan, the perfect circumstances for why a thing like that is made. Yeah, it was great. Uh, And it sounds like you really got your. I don't feel lonely at all. I felt uh, cherished. You got your free money's worth out of it. Yeah. But for somebody like me who arrives at the airport with as little time to spare as possible. You don't ever get stuck in a, doing a layover though. 
I try to book all travel with no layovers. Um, but you never, extra. you never get stuck. Occasionally, but even even in those situations, like let's say a few times in the last couple of years, I've had to spend two and a half hours at the airport in Denver. Let's just say, for instance, mm-hmm. in Denver. You know, you go get a little bit of food and then you kind of wander around and look at some teddy bears that say, I've been to Denver. Mm-hmm. And you play a little bejeweled on your phone and then it's two and a half hours. The idea that I would go into some special lounge, undo my laptop and start working on my presentation. I, that's just not, I don't have a presentation. I don't need to do any more work on it. It is it is what you see. So I'm not. I guess I'm not the target audience. Is what uh, is what we can conclude. I'm not a business person doing business. I do not need. But the, more the chairs are more comfortable. And for a big guy like you, you want to stretch out. You can do that up there. Meh. Meh. You go to so much trouble to get just the right seat on the air and the airplane with just the right exit thing with your feet. You can stretch out. I would think this would be a priority for you to find the same kind of thing while you're, you know, while you're waiting around. Maybe that is, maybe that's a key, um, a key observation because I do not want a bad seat on the airplane, but I do not care about anything else. Like I don't care if there's a shuttle bus. I don't care if, I have a bad seat on the shuttle bus. I I actually like to throw my bag down on the floor of an airport and take a nap, just sort of tucked into a corner of of a empty departure lounge. Um, none of that stuff matters to me at all. Like having a deluxe experience in an airport, you can tell. I just don't. I think it's I think it's dumb. Yeah. Even. Like throw your bag down, lay out on the floor, take a nap. I will, I'll do that anywhere you give me a chance. Bus station. How do you I'll know when to wake up? How do you know when, when it's your time to wake up for the flight? I have a pretty good inner alarm. I can say I have a half hour to take a nap and I will wake up after 25 minutes. I, I'm not at risk of of waking up five hours later and oh my God, I missed my flight. Like I I can wake up on, on cue. That's a really good talent. It's pretty good. I mean, I, I, I took a flight, some flight that deposited me in long beach, no Burbank. And I got to Burbank. Like it was some stupid thing where I had to fly at six in the morning and I got there at eight 30 in the morning. I didn't have anywhere to be until, one in the afternoon. And so I was in my arrival airport and I threw my bag down in a corner and went to sleep and slept for three hours. Like I could have, you know, I could have gone, gone to a hotel, but I was like, you know, uh, this is my bag is a comfortable pillow. That's another thing. You never travel with a bag that can't double as a pillow. Like those hard sided bags. It's just, too many times in life I have turned my bag into a pillow to ever go somewhere where I, where 
I didn't have at least one piece of luggage that I could sleep on. I mean, I think that's a really good, that's a really good tip. Now, what were you just traveling with? You had a picture of, uh, of your Filson bag. And then you said, oh, you can't get it anymore. It's discontinued. Yeah. Well, somebody said like, oh, that Filson bag looks too new. And, you know, they don't realize that I have a lot of them in rotation. So they're, you know, I, I'm not somebody that has one bag that I've beat into the ground. I have too many Filson bags. I'm embarrassed at how many I have, but they're all, they're all small because I believe in small bags. I actually have some big bags that I bought a long time ago that I'm, that I'm getting ready to sell on my Filson, uh, Etsy store or whatever that I haven't opened yet. Right. But this is a bag that, that, uh, has already been discontinued by the company and was discontinued like five years ago. And so anyway, it was a thing like on Instagram, somebody was giving me some business about how my bag looked too new. And I replied that in fact, it was older than he was because he's only five years old. <laughs> right. Well, speaking of bags we actually have our, our sponsor is a, a place that makes bags. Oh yes. It's almost like you set it up. I know you didn't set this up, but we have a sponsor that is uh, may, out there making the, the perfect luggage. And I, my understanding is that you have one of these. I do. Well, you know, I, I travel with luggage that uh, that can double as a pillow, but my daughter loves like hard sided wheelie bags um, because she's too small to carry a, a duffel bag. Right, all of my bags are kind of like leather canvas pouches. Right, she loves to go through an airport with her hard sided wheelie bag, and we received one of these bags. From the Away Company. Yes, Away. And it is a bright yellow um, hard-sided wheelie bag with locks, combination locks. And it is themed. It's a Minions-themed bag. And the only th- the only way you can tell it's a Minions bag is that it has your um, your luggage tag, your, your address tag. Looks like a minion's eye. It's the eye, right? That's, that's pretty but the rest cool. of the bag is just this fantastic sort of sunshine yellow with black accents. And she is so thrilled by this bag. Um, she's already used it on a trip. We travel a lot. And I, I always try to take her with me if I can. Um, and so her luggage is important to her. And now this, this is a, it's just a great and 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 perfectly sized bag. I mean, big. It's it's adult luggage. Are you sure you're not the real one using this, and that you just got that as a you sort of like, oh, right. I need it for my daughter. It's not for me. This big thing. It's it's for my daughter. Well, she packs all her stuff in it, and then we get halfway through the airport, and she's like, "Daddy, will you pull my bag?" So I am the one. Right. Yes, I right. am using. I am using it. And, I've got and, one. I've got one too. I I love this thing. And the the thing I think people probably know that makes the away bags like their kind of their their claim to fame maybe is that they have power built into them. So you can plug in your whether it's your cell phone, your tablet, your you know ebook, whatever it is. 
uh, you plug it in. They've got little USB ports in there. And it has a built-in battery. So you charge this thing up. And then you can plug in all your devices to it and charge them. One charge on in, in the internal away uh, charger will charge a, an iPhone five times. That's how much power it has in there. That's phenomenal. That's very cool. And uh, and these so the, the way that these look, these are the... Um, you call them like a like a shell style, and they're very very lightweight, but they're very very strong. They've got the wheels; they're all spinny. They do everything uh, that you want them to do, and they're TSA approved. They've got the TSA combination lock built into the top, and it's got the two little zippers that, when you close the zippers, they go and click into the little lock that's built that's in. That's so right. That is one of the coolest things. You don't have like a lock like flopping around on top of it. It's like it's all built in. Uh, but the TSA, I guess they can break into it if they need to. It's got the four. Well, here's the other thing. I learned this tri- tip from Merlin, the importance of the four spinning wheels, not just for a, a, a grown adult, but especially for the kids. I actually let my son borrow mine on the last trip that we took. And so here's the thing you get to see. You, I didn't have TSA pre until just recently, like a week ago. Right. So I was always with everybody else in the long line, just moving the thing. If you can hold, you can have your away bag next to you with the uh, handle extended. And when you take that sort of half step forward, you just move it and it rolls with you. You don't have to like angle it back or slide it and scrape it. Like they really have thought of everything. It's made out of polycarbonate. It's super strong, super lightweight. It fits into the uh the carry-on space no problem and yeah and they've got all the like compression system built inside of it so uh when you pack you can like tighten everything down it works really good and it's compliant with all the major airlines so you don't have to worry well will it be able to fit into the overhead thing it will and uh here's the cool thing about it they let you more there's more they let you try it for a hundred days you can they actually you know, when you buy something, you're like, well, I don't know if I like it until I use it, right? They want you to use it. You get to try it for 100 days. And if at any point within 100 days, it's not for you, you return it for a full refund. No questions asked. Uh, they even have a, a retail store. They just opened up in New York City. But don't worry about that if you're not in New York. You can order this thing uh, online and we're going to give you $20 off because you're a listener of the show. So... Go to awaytravel.com slash roadwork, awaytravel.com slash roadwork. The promo code to use is uh, roadwork, of course, one word. Right. And you get 20 bucks off uh, when you go there. Well, I'll be a monkey's uncle. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next time you go on a trip, I bet, I bet we're going to see you, even if your girl's not there, we're going to see you with a big yellow. I don't know how they, did they license that to get the... Must have, must have. Must have licensed that. But they're not all and, yellow. Mine mine is just black. You know, my daughter has never seen a Minions, but she, she recognizes. No, she recognizes that it's a thing. And so I was like, I got this Minions uh, uh, suitcase. And she was like, awesome. But she doesn't know what it is. <laughs> I mean, she doesn't know what Minions is. Yeah. She's just like, it's something. It's something that other kids know about. Right. I'm like, uh, don't get used to it. Yeah. Well, anyway, you well, can you can go and you can check out the different sizes. They got carry-ons. They get the big carry-on. They got a large one. They got a medium one. They got all of them. It's awaytravel.com 
slash roadworks to support the show and then uh, support yourself. You get 20 bucks off. We do amazing things for people on this show that I'm not even aware of. I don't usually do the uh, ad reads with you. And uh, look at look at all the uh, the great uh, the great deals. Well, I knew that you were having experiences with with this one, and I thought uh, we could have some some fun with it. So thanks for for sharing it. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. You know, I should have uh, I should have my little girl on the show at some point, and she can be, say like yeah, she could do the spot. I really am enjoying this bag. Thank you so much. Away right, there you go. So I don't know. I uh, I think I'm going to keep this knife. It's in my pocket Dad, right now. If you don't keep the knife, you're you're tempting fate, and I don't suggest that either of us at this stage in our life tempt fate. No. You know what I mean? There are times to tempt fate. You got to know when to hold them and know when to show them, know when to fold them. I forget mm-hmm. exactly what the lyric is. But you don't want to you don't want to be like out there riding a motorcycle at your age. No, and you don't want to be sending back knives that keep coming because it it's the type of thing that that might trigger um like a spy movie plot, right? There may you may send it back another time and then the third time the doorbell rings and it's like two guys in black suits and they and they hand you a box and you open it and it's this knife and they're like, "Look, Keep the knife, Dan. Mm-hmm. Somebody on Twitter, uh, uh, I'm assuming friend of the show, Chris, uh, asked me because I tweeted about this. And he said, what knife was it? And he actually said, specifically, he said, a knife enthusiast like me demand to see what knife you got. Right, of course. And so I sent him a, a link to the one that I wound up with, the Spyderco Paramilitary 2. And he said, uh, "He said your honesty paid off. It's unusual finding any S thirty V steel in a blade. What S V thirty two C steel? That's S thirty V steel. <whistles> yeah, apparently that's a big thing. But uh, he says that you can't you can't get that in a blade under hundred bucks. Is what he's telling me. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. I just you know I feel like I I'm not breaking any laws here. I, no one's getting hurt by this." So how do I, you want to, you know what I actually, we should, I don't know if I want to tell people, uh, what to do to, to get this. Cause maybe I could start you, you got your Etsy business. Here's going to be my Etsy business. I'm going to well, order like t- 20 know. of these things and, uh, make a few hundred bucks. Uh, I don't know if I should put this link in the show notes or not. Tell me on the sly. Yeah. I mean, I'll the, tell you after the show. Just recently, uh, I went to the Safeway. To get my usual slice of six-layer cake. <laughs> I, saw, I saw your picture of that. Well, except I went to Safeway not very long ago, and they did not have any. And I was like, well, it's just a weird thing. I mean, they, they always have it. This is just like whatever. One day they didn't have it. I went last night. Again, no six-layer chocolate cake. They had a bunch of other cakes that I, that I deemed – insufficient insufficiently layered insufficiently chocolatey uh and now i'm afraid that i've talked about this cake online i've showed people this cake and now as is so often the case those people have ruined it somehow (laughs) by either buying all the cake or by causing safeway to realize that 
the cake was too good of a deal. Like somebody online might have sent them a tweet saying, you can't possibly be giving John Roderick this cake for so cheap. <laughs> and now, like two times I have gone all the way to the back of a Safeway looking for my delicious cake and two times have have been thwarted. And I'm starting to get nervous. I don't want you to give away your like knife secret. Right. But it's not, it's unlikely that you're going to buy a, another one. No, I'm definitely buying another one. All right. Well, tell tell me after the show is over so that I can get yeah, you're going $120 to get $120 knife for $60.